to the New Ears podcast, an auditory exploration of the art of the album. I'm usually your host, Jonathan Humphrey, but in this episode, things are going to be a little bit different. I got a chance to be a guest on the Beast of the Maze podcast for two episodes, and I'm going to highlight those here. It's a great show that looks at the discographies of Iron Maiden and Fish, and I'd highly recommend you check it out. But in the meantime, you can listen to these episodes here with me. In this first episode, we're going to be talking about the Fish album, The Story of the Ghost. Without much further ado, I'm going to let them take it. I want it loud as fuck out there, all right? The overhead view is of me in a maze. And you see what I'm hunting a few steps away. Welcome back to Beast in the Maze. Today we're going to talk about Fish's seventh album, Story of the Ghost. Matt's here with me and we have a special guest, uh, Jonathan, from um, the New Ears podcast. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that podcast, Jonathan? Yeah, uh, thanks. Um, The New Ears podcast is once a month we, we pick an album, either I or my guest picks an album. And the whole point of it is to get to the root of what makes this an album and not just like a collection of songs and we like to cover a wide variety of things both of you have been on it and and i was saying sometimes the host picks sometimes the guest picks it's a good way to get a lot of stuff i mean so far we've covered taylor swift experimental noise rock post-hardcore post-hardcore hip-hop so we like to get it everywhere we can yeah yeah it's a great podcast and it was definitely fun um Speaking for myself, it was definitely fun being on it. Yeah, yeah, both um, you and I have been guests on it. And then also, just as a side note, coming out November 21st, very shortly after this this episode should be released, uh, I have another podcast with three friends where we go chapter by chapter through the Twilight Saga. And it's a lot more entertaining than it sounds even to someone like me or the two of you. <laughs> yeah, that that's interesting. I know you're not or at least at least as far as i knew you're not a fan of the twilight series but i guess you guys have some of you have like a love hate relationship or i don't know maybe even a hate hate relationship or it's like a guilty pleasure or something like that well without giving too much away from time to time stockholm syndrome sets in <laughs> <laughs> like you're just bombarded <laughs> with it so much that you just start loving big brother and in this case big brother is like teen vampires yeah yeah exactly okay yeah i think i read like exactly two chapters of a of a twilight book once while i was like waiting for somebody to get ready to go somewhere and it was like sitting on the table Uh uh-huh and that's all i've got to say about that well all i can (laughs) say is all i can say is that if if the if the book was twilight and the first the chapters you read were the first two those are the longest slowest most boring chapters of anything i've ever read in my life so i I just like dropped into the middle of it i was like i I think it was like you know i think there was like some kind of argument about something i don't know i i I don't remember but i'm sure it would would be awesome when i hear the podcast maybe it'll uh, inspire me to read them but so also what what i'm hearing you say is that like if anybody out there is getting into them and is like 
this sucks, but you've only read one or two chapters that you're telling them, uh, don't worry, because it picks up? Yeah. I mean, yeah. If, if you want to read about teen vampires, love triangles, or whatever, you'll probably enjoy it after the first two chapters. Uh, it's a slow build. It's a very, very slow build. <laughs> well, I would say even if you don't want to read about teen vampires, as long as you have like, you know, a, a group of friends to like go through it with and like make fun of it and or, you know, talk about what you liked and didn't like that uh, it probably is a little more fun. Yeah. And that's that's what keeps me going with these books is the podcast itself is pretty fun. Like like you said, some of us are fans and even the ones that are fans can see the faults. Cool. Well, where can we uh, where can we find those podcasts? Uh, well, New Year's and Bite of Passage. Uh, the the trailer is up for Bite of Passage. New Year's is about eight episodes deep. They're on all major podcasting f- platforms. Basically, anywhere you can find this podcast, Beast in the Maze, you can search for that. There's a, also, you know, a website for both, and I'm sure we can put those in the show notes or whatever instead of spelling it out. Yeah, yeah, for sure. There there will be links for people to follow. Well, that's cool. Um... I guess we'll get back to the album now. So we're doing Story of the Ghost, um, seventh Fish album, like I said. It's, uh, so Fish has a lot of different recording styles that they use. They've, they've always like tried to change how they record each album. And this one specifically was recorded by them having like these prolonged like jam sessions and taking what worked out of it and then forming that into a song. Uh, when they initially started recording this album, like they've said in interviews that they didn't even know they were recording an album. They were just getting some studio time and they wanted to play. And once they figured out they were recording it, they did a set of um, four shows called the Island tour in the middle to like take a break from recording. They went and played live. And some of these songs were uh, debuted on that. So when was was this, uh, when was this happening? 97, 98, something like that. Oh, sorry. Yeah. October, 1998. Yeah. Um, Okay. So they probably were recording it in 97 and 98 though. Yeah, the first session started in the Bearsville studios um, in Bearsville, New York. And they basically like had multiple like sessions of extended jamming and like improvisation and stuff that they started to form into songs. Some of the songs aren't from that or were formed or were decided to put on the album, even though that was like rather than some that they picked out of that jam session, I guess. Mm-hmm. but it's pretty funny i mean it's interesting because like later um trey sort of criticized the project of making um uh, or the process of making this album because uh he thought it was like too socialistic he thought that like everybody it's like if everybody didn't like a song they would just nix it right away and he thinks that like some of the, some of the times like some of the songs that uh like where the most argued over would have been like more powerful. And some of them ended up on the album farmhouse later. Um, those are uh, bug and twist. Interesting. I can, I can see that argument just cause I guess you like want things to stand out a little more. And if something's controversial, like it's inherently going to, or at least will not, if not inherently like more probably. Mm-hmm. Well, I had, a, I had a question about that too. Cause I, I was reading about him feeling it was very socialistic. Did that, did that, um, method also carry over to how they they tracked the album like in what order the songs went or was that someone else's design do you know that even um i don't know the answer to that i know um it was produced by a producer called named andy wallace who produced some like albums that are sort of unrelated to fish like rain and blood by slayer and uh nevermind by nirvana yeah i looked (laughs) at his credits too and um 
he's got a lot of um, engineer credits as well as production credits, but yeah, he's worked with like a diverse amount of bands and like the list contains at least one person, I think like, or one artist that everyone will have heard of. So, I mean, what I was saying about that too, like I think later on, like more recently, like Trey Anastasio and Tom Marshall said something like they're fine with the way the album is now, just at the time he was like trying to write a better rock album. I think, uh, I mean, I think that Trey Anastasio believes that Fish has never put out a great album. Well, some people are perfectionists, but it, maybe it's not that. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Before, um, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, when you say he's, he doesn't think they've ever put out a great album, is that just for studio albums? Is there a particular live? Per- just, yeah, studio-wise. Right. You know, um, I think they did pretty good on some of them. I think this one and I think Rift. Um, are really good albums you probably haven't listened to rift well, i don't know if you listened to the episode or not and then listen to the music but yeah i think they've put out some strong albums i think it's just like a self-criticism and it might not even be how he feels now it might have been more about how he felt then right yeah i think uh just to kind of circle back like not to interrupt but i think this is definitely like an album that's the one thing that it's very successful i think this is a cohesive piece from them for sure yeah, I agree. And that's a that's a thing that that's, I guess, basically like the entire what your podcast is about. Right. It's like right. figuring out what makes an album instead of just like because obviously like a compilation wouldn't count as an album. Right. Or great greatest hits. I mean, are like on the extreme end of the spectrum. But I right. think like sonically, a lot of these songs have the same vibe, sort of. Yeah. And they all fit into that. I, they're not all ghostly per se, but they there is a certain floatiness to him a oh, oh, whimsy to him that is ghost-like I, that sounds silly but that's just how it felt to me a lot of times yeah same and i think when i, I before i listened to this thing i heard they them use that like expression cow funk and i was like you know i don't know if i'm ready to a i think that's a crazy thing to call this type of music but b <laughs> i'm not sure if i'm ready to to like subgenre this under funk necessarily I mean, it's definitely got like some funky grooves and some bass that like it's there's a lot of funk going on, but I'm not sure that's like the main umbrella this falls under, if that makes sense. Well, so here's what's happening is like this is a really big transition time for Fish, both like playing live and in the studio, although they'll sort of get away from this. But that like that groove that they've created with like Ghost and MoMA Dance and um, even like I mean, even to an extent like uh neat and um some of those songs that's like a sound that's now gonna like direct fish like into like the new millennium if that makes any sense like that's kind of how like how a lot of Mm -hmm. their jams are going to be built from here on and like it's a it'll be like this thing that really wasn't there is big in like the mid and early 90s and is now is now like coming to into its own like it basically started they started playing kind of like that in 97 i could see like if if you structure an album like this, I can see like as a band that likes to improvise live, how having this material provides you with sort of like a shifting Rubik's cube of like similar things to slide in and out of, you know what I mean? Like fairly easily since they all like are coming from a similar, not all of them, but, and I'm, I'm not trying to say like the whole album sounds the same, like that's not exactly what I'm saying, but they, they've, they've all got a similar feel or mood for the most well definitely I, I think this album almost flirts with being a concept album like in a way like it's not exactly one but 
I think inadvertently they've like left a lot of themes about like metaphysical and like the like you said sonically it has some similarities between songs and they all have like a groove to them mm-hmm. or not all of them but a lot of them and I think there's a lot of like I don't know I don't know how to describe it. like there's just a there is a ghostly feel to this album yeah now I, I have a question as someone who this is the first time I've actually I mean I've heard fish plenty of times and and just for a little bit of my history some of, of my best fish memories are uh riding around with you brian and listening to the halloween shows okay nice <clears throat> because i you know they always have interesting choices of cover for the halloween shows and stuff which i appreciate but this is the first time i looked at the lyrics and i have a couple things to say about that but first i gotta know is this album less obtuse lyrically than they are normally by obtuse sorry i, I don't mean to jump in before brian answers he's the resident fish fan but just to clarify by obtuse do you mean like cryptic and hard to get to the bottom of or 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 even not even having like I, I when i think of fish sometimes i think of songs that like don't even really have any meaning like the vocals are kind of an instrument and they're kind of to invoke a feeling more than like say something a lot of times and i've listened to the podcast and i've heard places where that's not the case but maybe that's just a preconceived notion a lot of people have but i didn't feel like that was present on this album i would say that the couple albums before this and like these albums are they're becoming like a little more like compact songwriters like these songs will be like the structures from some songs that live will end up being some really big jams Mm. but i think that their songwriting i I don't know if it's getting better it's just changing a little bit um you know and tom marshall and trey anasagio write the lion's share of the lyrics and so they have like different writing styles than a lot of lyricists as well i mean you know they they write from like things they've experienced or things they've seen or um i don't know like they're, like they're playing word games things like that you know to to get lyrics so some of the lyrics yes are probably more i would say interpersonal and uh coherent but not always i would say for me because i never really started listening to to fish until you know, doing this podcast. And uh, for me, both so far as a whole, like their whole lyrical body and most uh, any given song, there's like half a meaning. So it's like, if you imagine like, and this is going to sound like a crazy fish.net explanation, but if you imagine a cracked egg, right? The yolk is the part of the song that makes sense. And the rest of it is the part that could go either way. Do you know what I'm saying? Okay. Sure, I like that. Too. I, I kind of get you do yeah. enough fish podcast. Eventually, you can talk like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Well, I guess so. We got pretty much talked about what we thought about the album. Um, oh, go ahead. Well, I I have not to interrupt. I have one last thing I'd like to say, and the reason I want to say this now is because I will get more into it. But uh, I appreciated a lot of this album. But there was one thing, and the reason I want to say it up front is because I don't want to sit with the negativity. There was one thing that was a little bit frustrating for me for this album. And it, it's because, I, I, you know, they, I've, they've caught a lot of flack for bad lyrics. I don't think the lyrics are bad on this album. And I don't think the vocals are bad on this album. But I do think they have the most boring rhymes. Like, it feels like when they're writing these songs 
they write like one really good line and then they just automatically think of the next one to three words that rhyme. And like the lines are all good and they all make sense, but something about it. And I think this is me coming from a place of listening to a lot of hip hop and stuff, but that's the one critique, the one, the one negative I saw on this whole album. And I, like I said, it's not that big of a deal. The album is actually good, but I don't want to sit with that. I just found the rhymes really boring. You know, I'm, I'm intrigued that you said that because I wasn't paying exact attention to like word choice or anything, but I like on the previous albums, I didn't really notice this as much, but on three or four songs, I wrote down like the actual rhyme scheme. And I think that there's some, something of like, I know that in the past they've used like actual, like unorthodox techniques to or like artificial rules and constraints to write songs by, but I've I noticed some like A, 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 B, A, C type stuff and like five lines, four lines, five lines, four lines type things in the composition of the lyrics too. Mm. Um, but I'm not saying that I think that they're necessarily boring. I'm just saying it's the first time that that was a thing about the songs that like jumped out at me. Well, and that's what I was going to ask because like they they play with words and it's a lot of fun and they do some fun things on this album but it just seems like something about the rhymes themselves are where they fall a little flat i can see what you mean i guess um i mean a lot of their lines are in like are like stanza too and like the way that like a lot of them are s- similar like syllab like syllabically mm-hmm. so say. like they have like roughly the same amount of syllables mm-hmm. in each line that they sing because i i think it's like they tend to like do like a, a sort of like talking kind of singing that that like rolls with the beat of the song. Right. Um, as far as like the lyrics, I don't I don't feel that. But I mean, obviously, like I like this album. Um, I think that I know what you're saying is that like they could maybe have a wider vocabulary or something. Well, and for someone and for people that that obviously play with words as much as they do, and we'll talk about that in, in a later song or two at least. Like they do play with words. It just feels like a lot of times when, when they're, they're trying to find the word to rhyme, they just go for the very first word that comes to their mind that rhymes. Well, I think that they're like, if you, when we talked about um, the man who stepped into yesterday, that was written when Trey was working on like an actual like children's book or children's story. And I think like one of the things that was a big sort of aha moment when we were like preparing for that episode was like, Oh, I kind of get more like where, not that I necessarily like, it interests me more, but I kind of understand more where some of the lyrics are coming from because he's in this like, I don't know, fairy tale Dr. Seuss kind of childlike whimsy sort of space some of the time, you know what I mean? Yeah, well, and and that's something I like want to make clear is that I don't think the lyrics themselves are bad. It's, it's It's just the words they choose to use for the rhymes that kind of throw me off. Well, I guess there will be some examples as we go along and stuff that we can talk about. Yeah. All right, so I guess we're ready to talk about Ghost then? Yeah, sure. Yeah, so this song, this is like a probably a, a really high-end favorite Fish song of Fish fans. It's short on this uh, on this album, but there's a lot of like really crazy versions of it, and uh, we can get into that. The, the one I forced Matt to listen to all the time is the Prague Ghost. Yeah. That's a really good one, though. Um, <laughs> but yeah what did you guys think about this song is this about like i have i i usually like when i go into talking about a song i start with the lyrics just out of habit um but i wanted to know like is this about a ghost or like an imaginary friend and 
there's a stanza in there where he he says sorry i have the lyrics pulled up here his answer came in actions he never spoke a word or maybe i laid down the phone before he could be heard and um the just the whole thing about ghosts talking on the phone made me think about um stranger things okay yeah I I actually I don't think this is what they're going for but personally listening to this song it gave me kind of a different thought and I feel like you know a lot of times creative people can see their their creative self as an other oh it's like imposter syndrome well yeah or or like this is the, these talents these things that have have given him success they're not him they're this ghost that that was always there and that's kind of what i got from it personally i don't feel like that's how they were writing it but that's just how it, it made me feel when listening to it i actually think that's pretty sharp though um i what i was thinking like imaginary friend was the closest thing i could think of but i think it was more of like um like another part of yourself yeah there's definitely like some themes of that throughout this album and also like to to say that the album lyrics are like introspectively about the band fish is probably somewhat accurate too um because you know they've been around for 13 years at this point like pretty steadily touring and they have like this whole fan base that's like they probably half expected to have and half didn't you know um and so they're like i think they're like kind of in the middle of dealing with fame right now right so uh, I do understand completely what you're saying about that, Jonathan. I, I sort of see it that way too. Um, I didn't, I couldn't probably put it as eloquently as you did, but I, it was something about like a feeling or something you're able to do that like, like is something that's a part of you, but doesn't feel like a part of you. Right. See, I'd like to think, I mean, that's a good take, but I'd like to think that this song is just hundred percent literal. And it's about a guy who knows a ghost that nobody <laughs> knows, like lives at his house or whatever, that gives him like life advice and tells him how to like get stuff done. And then one day he's like, well, I'm leaving. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's like it, the giving tree. It reads that way. It's the giving ghost. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I see what you're saying. I mean, that's how you can take fish songs. You can take them however you want. Um, I want to quickly say that I love the phaser sounds in this song. They're, they're so great. There's also like, um, there's some like Seinfeldian sounding like slap bass going on around like the two minute mark, which by the way, I found out recently, this is a little bit of a tangent, so I'm sorry, but uh, is not performed on a bass. Is it a synth? It's, it's just like two keyboards. And so the deal is that guy, you know, having recorded a bunch of like snapping and like popping and mouth noises and like jazz, you know, stuff and he had a bass setting on his keyboard but it opened with the jerry monologue every time right so he would have to play quiet stuff while he was talking and then bust the like the theme at the end every time so like apparently a it's different every time in each seinfeld episode and b it's not a real bass but anyway well that's crazy in this song it kind of sounds like it evoked that sound for me a little bit so okay well i got a clip um we can play it will encompass both the sweet Seinfeld bass work and the uh and some of the uh the synth um phaser sound okay great so basically we'll just go from like 155 to 215 
that oscillating phaser at the end. Yeah, and I love the way everything fades out a little bit, and that that's it just gives the song such a texture. Yeah, I would like like if if this song or this album were heavier, you like because the Hawkwind fan in me is like turn that part of it up, <laughs> you know, but it would just like overpower the whole like laid backness of the song. So, but yeah, I agree. I think that those kinds of things can really uh, can really make songs more interesting. But that also, I mean, basically, that was my other my other note about this song is that I, I liked the breakdown, which we, we kind of just listened to. I mean, it wasn't the full breakdown, but it was a good chunk of it. Yeah, the song is basically just based on one riff, uh, in my mind. And it's that, like, just bass thing that kind of grooves through the whole thing. Like, I think it, the jam was probably just built around that, you know? Yeah. Well, do you think, um, do you think the bass... Matt was like a little more uh, forward on this album and this song than in the previous albums. Certainly on this song, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would probably say on the whole album, but I definitely like took note of it here. Okay. Yeah, there were. I mean, not that I'm as well versed, but there were a couple places on this album where the bass was just a very strong presence. Like not the whole album, but there lots of songs on this album. You could like the bass was more up front. Yeah, he's dropping some bombs. Words, word to your moms. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, well, um, but I guess that's all I had to say about Ghost. Um, what do you guys think? Yeah, yeah, sounds good. I mean, it's a, I think it's a good establishing track. Like, it's representative of what you're going to hear on the album. Yeah, that's definitely the case. And I, I think this, as we're transitioning, I think the this this album starts really strong like these first three songs are a really strong start for an album and you couldn't have had that strong of a start without using this song up front i see what you mean any of any three song run that is those three songs like it's best if this is the first one nice yeah well we got birds of a feather next i thought i think this song has kind of like a talking heads type of feel i could feel that a lot i've been listening to a lot of talking heads lately i definitely there, there's an upbeat franticness to it. Yeah, the birds of a feather thing almost reminds me of the like still waiting thing. Yeah, it's a lot like Cross-Eyed and Painless. Mm-hmm. Even the guitar part is kind of like the, it's like a fast, like funky kind of thing, but like with very little uh, impact, you know? Right. I don't know. Um, so like, yeah, I, mean, I think that like is directly influenced by the fact that like just a couple years before for Halloween, they'd done uh, Remain in the Light. Mm-hmm. So they, I can see that, like, yeah, influencing their songwriting, and they've they've hung out with David Byrne before too. So that I bet that was an interesting room to be in. <laughs> Probably yes. <laughs> I actually watched an interview today with which was David Byrne interviewing Fish. Huh. Yeah, it was pretty cool. It was like ten minutes long. They just talked oh, about really? three or four different things, but it was pretty funny. They talked about something off this album, but we'll get to that. I don't know. So lyrically, I think this song could like sort of be about the fish fans yeah i i wrote that i was like is this about interacting with fans right because i think like tom marshall probably saw it like as like like he had been writing lyrics for this band forever but like they were just his friends that had a band and now that it's like 1998 (laughs) like there's a whole lot more people like and there's a whole scene around this band now there's um you know, there's like the same thing the Grateful Dead had, like the Shakedown Street, the, the oh, yeah, yeah. there's like the 
the drugs, the the hippies. It, it probably used to be a lot easier, especially if you're Tom Marshall and not like an onstage member of the band to like just go and hang out with people and be cool and like a normal human instead of people being like starstruck and freaking out and being weird around. Yeah, here. I can see that. And like, I imagine that the longer they went on, like maybe that ceased to be the case. I don't even really know what Tom Marshall looks like. So if I saw him at a show, I wouldn't know what to do to anyway. But uh... yeah, but you know, like they're like a handful of like, like ultra fans would oh there's sure. way more than like a handful of ultra well fans. yeah that's what that's what i'm saying yeah, <laughs> yeah it wouldn't be as possible <laughs> yeah yeah i listened to his podcast and he's talked about some of his uh interactions with the crowd they're pretty funny i i think i mean coming from it that way that, that it is about fish fans but it i my note personally about kind of the meaning is just like herd mentality and it's looking at it from a both positive and negative aspect yeah, I think that that could be that could be interpreted for sure. So, yeah, I mean, there's definitely moments of it where it's good, and there's moments of it where it's bad within this song, or at least it feels that way. Uh, another note that I have, this is just random, is uh, I didn't know what a whip it was, other than like, you know, like a like a nitrous whip it or whatever. But a whip it is like a greyhound, only smaller. Yeah. So that's the, I think the curly, curly Q dance, that's what that's about. And so. Makes more sense. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. 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 I, I was like, I, at first I thought they were just talking about doing whippets, but uh, yeah, this is the song where I wrote down a thing about the, not the rhyme scheme, but like the four lines, four lines, five lines, four lines thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know if that's insight into, I'm just assuming Tom Marshall wrote these lyrics, but this song I think is credited to the whole band. Yeah. I think, well, a lot of this is, um, so the songs were written by them all jamming together, but like a lot of the lyrics and stuff were taken from like a session that Tom Marshall and Trey Anastasio had, um, which they actually have recorded. It's called um, Trampled by Lamps and Pecked by the Dove, which is the lyrics from Limb by Limb. But yeah, so like, so that stuff was like molded on top of a lot of this kind of, these like improvisational movements. So, um this song was the was the first or only single from this album like i think it got some some radio play considerably uh i think that this and waiting in the velvet sea were singles well that makes sense i was gonna say that i think you know i like to say what songs are standouts and i definitely feel like this song as a whole was a big standout for this album like i think it had a really great energy and I know there's a running thing on this show about how Fish ends their songs, but I really liked the like discordant end of this song. Yeah, I didn't think that this album was too guilty of ending their songs weird, but I think that's partly just a symptom of the way that it was written. And speaking of this album being different in, in that way, it's weird for like a jam session inspired thing for it to be an album with no instrumentals considering they've appeared on the previous ones. It has a big composition now. Yeah, I guess that's true. But yeah, yeah. Uh, I didn't really have much about Birds of a Feather, honestly. I mean, I, I think it's really cool. I love, I like, I like that part that Jonathan's talking about a lot. Um, and it, it just has a good speed to it, kind of like the same way Llama does. Yeah, I will, I will say though, I feel like sometimes Fish to me is singing as if they're trying not to wake somebody up. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Sure, I see what you mean. I think they're trying to to stay in tune. 
Yeah, that makes sense to me. Sure. As some, someone who's been recording vocals lately, that definitely makes sense to me. Um, I will say, if if this song comes up on shuffle, like not not on a fish shuffle, but just on a generic all kinds of music shuffle, those opening drums are going to throw you off at first. The opening drums part of this song, it gives you, I mean, it's still kind of frantic like the rest of the song, but it hits so much harder than the rest of the song. Oh, well, let's, uh, we should probably listen to that then. Yeah, we can do that. Yeah, I see what you mean. It's like that snare drum rattle is almost like a, a military kind of sounding. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I also had a note that, um, this song is bass driven, just like the first one. Also mellow and low key. There's a little bit of wah wah in the uh, guitar fills in the rhythm. And there's, I actually had a, a clip that I wanted to hear too. Right. It's at about two thirty. And what we're listening to is, so there's a slight build into the solo. And I wanted to know, do you guys think this is like overdub guitar or simply just guitar and keyboard? I think it was a delay. Yeah, I can see that. I can also see it. May, well, I, I mean, maybe I'm just like hearing. I think there is some. I hate to say overdub guitar. I feel like there's some underdubbed guitar going on there. I feel like there's some very like muted guitar going on while the the lead guitar and keyboards are are doing that that build with delay. Yeah, I think like once this like soloing or whatever guitar comes in, there's like another guitar that's like feedback and then just like some double stops and bends and stuff and not like a full kind of just like doing some like little stuff but i think it's there yeah yeah exactly okay i see what you mean you know now that i'm listening to it again i think it's possible that page has like a keyboard setting that's like electric guitar sounding where it starts off like wow and the longer you hold it it fades into like a like a feedback noise like i think it's possible that is the keyboard now that i'm but it's if so it's keyboard that's meant to sound like guitar it's possible too that um like trey at some point like if they did record that as an improvisational piece which i'm not sure they did or not probably some of it is that uh like he used like a a looping pedal but like he was playing something without listening to it you know what i mean he like has such a big board that he can like play something without it coming out and then like have it like ready to loop later or something, you know? Right. So it's just like know. a preloaded. Something. Thing. I don't yeah. know. There's a lot of things it could be. It'd be mm-hmm. interesting to know. The yeah. Experiment. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, does anybody else have anything else on birds of a feather? No, just that. It, I mean, like I said before, it's, it's probably a standout track for this album. I was listening to it earlier. Like I'd already taken notes and stuff, but just, you know, to refresh myself and my, my significant other was sitting here with me and she's like, Oh, I really like this song. So I think it is a standout. All right. So, uh, meat then. Yeah. Yeah. What, what do you say about meat, man? Go ahead. 
okay so this is another one where i like took note of the rhyme scheme because it's four sets of four lines and i'm sure this is like probably now that i've heard jonathan's comment like where maybe where that's going to come back up but the first stanza is just a a a a in fact stanzas one two and four all end in the same rhyme and then the third one is the non-standard one where it's like just a b c d yeah oh no no a b c b excuse me this song is is where the the rhymes really got to me the most and it's it it's i can't say that it it doesn't ruin the song it it is a a detriment to the song but like i love the vocal interplay that's going on within this song and i like the way it continues the ghost theme Mm -hmm. but it is the the rhyming this is this song is definitely where that that note hits me the hardest okay i mean i i don't know i can't speak to that because i don't i don't feel that same issue with it but um but yeah i understand what you mean also like it doesn't never lists anywhere on the internet what like fishman was saying too oh yeah the the low vocals right and so that is uh i just felt like my heart stopped beating you just thought you heard me laughing i jumped up from the sofa undercover why'd you put a pillow on it I like those. Yeah. <laughs> like those are awesome. And I think are those like the the like Captain Beefheart sounding vocals? Yeah, with whatever? like the distortion on them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I thought that um I thought that, that was kind of meant to sound like the way like when you do pick up the phone or like when like in ghost movies when you're like talking to the ghost. Oh, like when the Babadook calls the lady and it's like Babadook. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Kind of, but this is more like like when you're hearing like the like you have like the weird wand on ghost hunters or whatever, and it's like it's like, are you there? And it's like <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> All right. Well, so we should definitely listen to that then. Okay, yeah, we can um, throw a little piece of that on there. This song has a weird beginning too, which we've never. Yeah, it's got like voice voice noises. The first thing that happens is some guy goes. That's true. That does happen. (laughs) But um, anyway, it's like the the photo negative of the Iron Maiden song where Bruce is. It's a holy smoke where he's like, "Ah," at the end. (laughs) You know, this is another song. This is a thing they do frequently. Is like one person will be singing one set of lyrics and another person will be at the same time singing a different set of lyrics. Yeah, that's, that's accurate. And, and I love that. I love the way they're doing that. It's great. Again, I find myself, it's funny because as someone who's listened to this podcast, I'm like expecting all these ridiculous endings. I love the end of this song. I love it's, it's not something that's exclusive to fish, but I love when, a, a song almost feels like it naturally ends and then you pick up that groove one last time to like fade it out. We could listen to that. So it's like right after what we were just listening to. So you start at like 155. Yeah, I see what you mean. 
like it had a natural conclusion where everything dropped out, but then to bring it back up, I, I, I'm a sucker for that kind of thing. Well, yeah, even in between, like when you thought like they even had like a member of the band like laughing or there was like chatter as if it was like on the fade out, you know, yeah. right. Yeah, 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 exactly. Nice. So, yeah, I didn't I didn't notice that, but I uh, yeah, yeah, I enjoyed that. Yeah, I think meets just like a cool little funky song. That's pretty good. In a way, all all three of those first songs could be just like one big thing. I could see that, but I definitely feel like looking at it from an album, this is this is the first movement. This album is probably like three or four movements. I'm I'm not. Don't hold me to that. But I think it starts with the these first three songs is just this really strong movement. Yeah, then they're all built around like slinking kind of creeping bass a little bit. Yeah, I think. All right, so the the next song on this album is the only one that like already existed before all this, right? Well, some of the songs existed in like form, um, and some of them are like pieces of things from before. But yeah, this song, this song was composed. Um, Gaiute or Gaiuti, however you say it. I always say Gaiute was originally uh, composed alongside the Rift song "My Friend, My Friend," which Matt has heard, and it was like a companion piece to it. Like they were supposed to be played together. And that was like during like this trip Trey took to Ireland and he was like absorbing all this kind of like Irishy music. And then uh, he eventually did play them together with uh, the Vermont Youth Orchestra when he did that thing in like 2000. Uh, it's not improv improvisational at all. Uh, the whole thing's like a, a composed piece. Um, yeah, I don't know. What do you guys think about it? Hmm. Well, I didn't think about it in the context of of that song but obviously the whole he's got a knife thing is like consistent with this i think <clears throat> the song drops in quality a little bit from the last three but I, I can't really put my finger on it i feel like the lyrics and the vocals are what don't work for me in this song like the music itself is actually awesome <clears throat> like the moment they there's that switch in, in the movement of the song is fantastic like it's really good, but something about the, the the vocals just don't work for me in this song. As as he like he feels like he's kind of maybe it's because what you're saying the Irish he's trying to put on some a little bit more of a voice for this song, mm -hmm. and maybe maybe and I don't know why that wouldn't work. It's one of those things that I can't be like uh, this is bad. It's just one of those things where it's like something about it isn't working for me here. Well, I guess, like I said, I guess he's probably um, trying to keep the time with it. I think it starts in 6-8. Uh-huh. And so that's part of that. And there is, like, an aspect of, like, this song. I don't know where the lyrics of this song came from, but they came from, like, earlier days. And so, like, this is more of, like, the fish that you haven't heard where you're talking about, like, the lyrics being a little more, like, asinine, maybe, or, like, like they just don't make a lot of sense, but it's not like it's like it's it's more about a feeling and a story than a than like literal. Thing. Right. Yeah, I had some <clears throat> I had some questions about the lyrics uh, as well. Like I, I I wondered the same thing. Like you know, when I asked you if you thought the lizards were really lizards, do you think like Coyote is an actual pig or he's like you pig? You right. Know? It's kind of like the sloth. Like, is he actually a sloth or is he just? Right. Is it, and I, I couldn't tell, is this about like an evil or magical creature or death or like reincarnation or like, it's, it's definitely like cryptic. 
Oh, the site that I, I a lot of times I use for lyrics is often very like annotated sometimes by the musicians themselves. But one of the things that one of the notes on the lyrics to this given by some user so we could take it for a grain of salt. But one of his notes were Tom's childhood friend punched him in the eye. Okay. <laughs> huh. That's entirely possible. I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, that's a reason. I mean, I had a childhood friend that I punched in the eye. So. I would think that would be for the song Punch You in the Eye, though. Maybe it's both. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe he's got like a thing yeah. about it. A yeah, kind of like the slicing nipples thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I think the lyrics are a little crazy. I think the last stanza has, and like the, the stealing the breath, I think there's like a death and rebirth kind of thing going on there. Um, uh, I, but, you know, I... I, I I don't read too hard into it. Like it's to me, it's like a musical piece more yeah. than a kind of like we talk about like Reba and the lyrics of Reba. Like it's more about like getting to that place. I, yeah, I thought this song too was like a vehicle for them to like still bring up like some jazz and some, some like twangier stuff as mm -hmm. well, because that's always been like a little part of their sound. And it so far like hadn't shown its head yet. And it's definitely here. Cause like, I think like, twice now i've been like this is the chocobo part of this song <laughs> and there's definitely a chocobo part of this song yeah well i think um this song's kind of odd too in the context of this album because it's like the only like leftover song that is like what fish used to do a lot well there is that but at the same time i do feel like again with this 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 concept of an album there is a certain haunting quality to this song or being haunted by parts of the past or a relationship with a pig or literal or, or metaphorical. So I do think it fits in with the album in those ways. Yeah. I, I'm, I think the lyrics work with like the theme of the album. You're right. I just think that uh, I think it's odd because like Matt would probably be able to say this too, because like a lot of these songs are more, well, I guess with the last album we did, uh, there wasn't Game Hench was a uh, picture of or picture of Nectar, and that kind of went in this direction a little bit too. But like a lot of what Matt's heard so far were like albums with like a lot of composed songs on them that have like a space for jamming. This one doesn't really, but this is like the only song that's kind of like that on this album. And it's interesting that they still have that in the arsenal and put it on like this many years later. So can can we? Um... Can we listen to a part of this song that I think probably touches on the um, the like Irish thing you were talking about mm -hmm. a little bit? Or it's like, I don't know, folky sounding or, or like, I don't know. I guess it just evokes that to me. It's like three minutes in. It's interesting what the bass is doing there too i was gonna say you know this is this is probably you highlighted what's probably my favorite part of the song and i love what the bass is doing there i would say that part of the song certainly cuts like directly contrary to like most of the feel of what has been going on so far on this record definitely okay well i have another spot um in this song uh all right i have like two pretty good examples I think this is what I was doing here, but uh, 
me and Matt have like a an ongoing argument on this podcast about whether John Fishman's a good drummer. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, I wanted to listen to 550 to 630. I know it's a little long for our clip, but uh, I'll figure out how to start putting them in. I thought he did pretty well there. Yeah. And that's what I was trying to say earlier is like the instrumental parts of this song. I really enjoy it's, it's a great build up to that moment. And then that, like, it's not, it's not like 2001 space odyssey music, but there, there is that feel when that final break comes in. Well, to clarify, I don't think our dispute is whether John Fishman is a good drummer. I think our dispute is whether he is a virtuosic drummer. Oh, sure. Okay. Like, I certainly don't think he's ever like failed at what he's doing or I've been like, man, that sucks. Like, I'm, you know, I don't, I don't. He's certainly a better drummer than any one of us. Oh yeah, by far. (laughs) Just by virtue of being able to name all of the drums. (laughs) Right. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I just thought that was a, a good thing to throw in there since we've had having that conversation. Yeah, definitely. And and just from an outside perspective, I, I appreciate his drumming there for sure. But it's a good it's a it's a good composition with some good movements. And I like how it goes from like that that like happiness that like or that like Irishy sound that you were talking about into like that kind of menacing feel and then back back to like a crescendo, you know? It doesn't dwell on the same the same sound for too long, for sure. But, you know, throughout it all, he is dancing like a newborn elf. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Right, which... And it's bouncing. Oh, bouncing like a newborn yeah. elf. Sorry. That's different. <laughs> it is different. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> That's got to be inconvenient for, like, I don't know, elf parents and elf nurses and all that. Well, how else is he going to get around the room? Yeah, but if he's newborn, man, like, can't it wait a second? No, he's got to be bouncing around the room. <laughs> they got to they gotta cut the umbilical and stuff. <sighs> All right, so Ficus. Indeed. Yeah. So is this, this is one of the songs that Trey initially thought should be not on this album. Is that right? Yeah, he thought it wasn't, um, like, up to snuff. He wanted to put, like, a couple of songs that ended up on um, Farmhouse on there, which I, I could see an argument for putting Bug or um or twist like he was saying but even then this song makes more sense in the flow of the album than those do to me when did farmhouse when did farmhouse come out in relation to this farmhouse will come out in 2000 i believe okay so subsequent to this there's two albums between what we've listened to and this there's um uh, billy breathes and uh hoist which we'll get to but there's a couple of like those have some different recording styles and some different things going on as well um so this is in no means like a negative thing because my favorite artist is guiltier of this than most but is it just me or is this song just a list like i can't find much meaning in it It it's just a list to me i mean all these things were given to me 
it cost me nothing it was free but otherwise it just feels like a list and that's fine i just i'm wondering if i'm missing something there yeah i mean granted i want to point out that my favorite musician has a song that's like seven minutes and four and a half minutes of those are him listing things followed by the word shadow okay including cartoon frog shadow hot lesbo action shadow (laughs) right 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 okay well you listen to insanity music but that name of that song is happy 1984 and 2001 and and it it all ends by him screaming shadow government but like sure sure yeah yeah well um I, to me like it, the first line mentions a dream so like it, it seems like it's just a description of a dream so it's all just like anytime i hear somebody else describe a dream to me i'm like here we go because it's all just like a list basically like you said a list of just like irrelevant things that occurred that have bear no connect like real connection to you or your life or affect the decisions you're going to make or anything like that you know? do you think it could relate back to what we were talking about with um uh ghost like with like that internal like struggle about becoming famous sort of because at the end he's like he's talking about of holding forth from singing words and flying south with flocks of birds and then it's uh none of this was charged to me for as i said it was for free well i guess that depends on who ficus is because it starts with ficus dreamed a dream for me so if he's giving name to the ghost as ficus then that definitely lines up i don't even know if like they gave i mean it probably i don't mean literally but yeah yeah maybe ficus is a drug yeah i don't know that's a tough one to figure out though i I like (laughs) yeah it's tough and it makes it it makes it all the more difficult because there's all the like tom waits noises happening i I put it i put a note that it was like tom waits and that's what i loved about the music to this song like i enjoyed that for sure well it was a percussion experiment from what i understand like and they had like they were like using like tin cans and jars and shit for to make this song and that's great i loved that yeah it keeps it goes back to the i would say like darkness is one of the the themes Mm -hmm. on this album and uh it definitely like goes back into that because when i think of like that period of tom waits that this evokes i think of like some kind of like mad scientist character like banging on all of the pipes in his basement right yeah as he like tries to reanimate dead tissue or whatever i could see that yeah i don't know i didn't have much to say about this song so (laughs) I'm, I'm, i'm good to move on we can move on to shafty so shafty was originally called olivia's pool and i'd like you guys to listen to that real quick as you move through this life you love so you could be there and not even know but you say so what i'm doing just fine the irony is that it's all in your mind But anyway, I wanted you guys to hear that first so that you could know where the song came from. Well, I'm really glad you did that. One, I actually kind of liked that version more. But second of all, one of my notes about this song literally is this song feels so much like an interlude. What is it like live? Yeah, I wrote very short, almost as much of a transition as it is a song. Yeah, so you can still hear Shafty live and Olivia's pool live. They'll play either one. 
what do they usually use them as a bridge between songs or do they like jam on them longer for these um, everything can potentially have a jam right uh, but um it just depends you know sometimes they just start playing like back-to-back shorter songs they're, they're just like they're known for playing like a lot of improvisational stuff and they all almost always do live like go out there but they'll have like parts of their shows where they're like let's just play these four songs right no that makes total sense i was just it was hard to picture what this was like live because it definitely fits this album but it felt like like we're saying a transition or an or an interlude in this album yeah and it could be used that way too so i don't it's you never know um but yeah if you want to hear some live versions of it you can go out i don't know exactly what the best live shafties are um well, I'd, I love your, them for you. I'd love your yeah. audience to there's tell one, us. Yeah. There's one on our um, website that's... Uh, there's the debut, right? The um, Well, there's there's one from the Island Tour, yeah. That's, that's so like that's the, the debut of Shafty. Not of Olivia's Pool, obviously, but... Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like 10 or 15 minutes long. I don't remember. Oh, okay. I'd, I'd go back and hear that because I'm curious. So going back to how it's originally called Olivia's pool. That's another moment of them being really playful with the words that I like. Why do you think they changed the title to Shafty? I don't know. I think because the, probably because the, the tone of the song changed. Oh, that makes Um, sense. Like, so the original song is kind of like in the way that it's upbeat and I got some of this from reading this dude's thing on fish.net. So hold up. But, <laughs> um, the original song is kind of upbeat, but it's like, it's like kind of like a, like a condescending, like you guys are a bunch of, of oblivious fools. Whereas like the shafty version is kind of like, if you're not careful, you're going to be an oblivious fool. And so like, I think there's something with like people getting the shaft you know yeah i feel like after after you saying that it does feel like the olivia's pool version is more a directed outward while the shafty version is more directed inward right but i I mean lyrically this song is just about being in a bad place and not being fully aware of it right right exactly and that's like one of the wordplay things you were talking about too is like i mean this will happen later but it's something that like just sounds like the song the the oblivious fool and the olivia's pool thing yeah i love that right i think that's great well that's a good way to bring up that song olivia's pool has been around for like a long time in the fish uh history and then was transformed into this do fish fans have a preference of which version i mean all kinds of fish fans have all kinds of preferences but (laughs) right well do you have probably olivia's pool a because you'd be less likely to hear it and b because it like if you put Olivia's pool in the right spot, you could be like right in the middle of a pretty like jump and set. Uh-huh. So maybe that, maybe that's why, but I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I think the song keeps with the groove of the album. Um, you know, it's like that, that heavy bass again. And like, it's not as like funky as ghost or like, like that, but it's still in that like mood. Yeah. And it fits the theme of everything for sure. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. So we'll talk about Limb by Limb now. This song is actually like an amalgamation of uh, some things like like a couple of sound checks and like a song they had written called like Taken Far Away that they were like jamming. And then they they had a sound check called the Chinese Walls sound check. 
which was like the peel my fingers off the rim part. Um, then they sort of gradually merged this into a song. Oh, interesting. So they've taken a song about being disassembled and well, they've made like a song out about of, out of being just out of out of like assembling various smaller songs together exactly it's, it's funny that you said it was like a sound check i was actually reading an article earlier today about uh hits that weren't supposed to be hits and apparently uh bto's you ain't seen nothing yet was just his warm-up sound check song for the studio space and he didn't think it was a good song until someone else heard it <laughs> nice oh that that kind of makes sense with like the the stuttering vocal like making and, fun like, of his just brother the three power chords and stuff yeah 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 but yeah i i've i got the feeling like this song is very clearly kind of about being comfortable falling apart by yourself yeah i can see that because it's an amalgamation of songs i think it's like a little bit tough to draw the lyrics out of but you can definitely take some meanings from it yeah, I thought that it, like, again, it could be interpreted about, like, a return to nature or about, like, reincarnation, maybe, in a way. In terms of, like, because towards the end of the song, he says, I come unglued while in midair and land to reform limb by limb. And then it talks about, like, slowly melting away and uh, bailed with the hay and pooled with the water, pooling the water, etc. So, like, I don't know. Maybe I'm, like, reaching a little bit, but I thought that it could be, like, that whole, like, dying and returning into Adam's kind of thing. Yeah, and I, I think that's right. And I think, um, you know, that's like that's like not even like a, a fish theme on this album. That's kind of like a, a common fish theme period. Mm -hmm. um, it's like the life and death, like rebirth cycle and like what is like the universe. But yeah, I think this song's awesome. It's, uh, it's got some really interesting uh, percussion in it. And I, I like the guitar solo a lot some uh I, I, two things about the what could be called the refrain is is it just me or does calling it the chinese wall feel a little off something feels off about that to me like it's supposed to evoke the feeling of the great wall of china right maybe yeah. right which is known for its length not its height right and it just feels weird the other thing is Maybe some listener who would know better than I, I didn't have enough time to do this, but the, that same refrain really reminds me of a, a Ben Folds 5 song. And it has to be off the album, Whatever and Ever, Amen. But there, there's some Ben Folds, and it's because it's the piano part, especially. Mm -hmm. Obviously, if you're talking about Ben Folds, what else would you be talking about? Sure, but, yeah, yeah. Um, if any, so does, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, if any listener knows Ben Folds, I'd be interested to have... I mean, I might look into it later, but at the time of this this recording, I, it just sounds like some Ben Folds song that I can't place right now. Huh. Okay. I don't really do listen to a lot of Ben Folds, so I wouldn't know. But. Neither do I. Yeah. Do you suppose that Chinese Wall sounds weird to you because most people just say Great Wall of China? Yeah. and Because if they're not talking about the Great Wall of China, I'm not sure what they're trying to evoke by saying Chinese Wall. Yeah, and it... Well... I could see saying Chinese wall instead of Great Wall of China if you were then going to rhyme wall later, but I don't think they do. Yeah. But no, I didn't, it didn't actually strike me as odd at the time. So it's a short answer, no, but <laughs> fair enough. Ask an answer. But I will, I will give you that it's not known for how tall it is. 
so much as how long it is. Right. Some place so dropping somebody, depending on where they dropped you off of it, you might just be like, oof. Yeah. yeah. It might be it might... better not to be dropped off of it though. <laughs> yeah, there's probably some spots that yeah, you definitely don't want to. Yeah, there's definitely some places where it's terrible, and there's some where it's like shorter than falling off of a one-story house. <laughs> it cannot, however, be seen from space. There's a lot of um lyrics uh in fish that are written by like wordplay and exercises like we talked about this on um rift and also picture of dector but like sometimes these lyrics are, are written by like them playing music and like singing over it and so like maybe they just maybe that's just what came out you know like they were like a wall and then a chinese wall and then boom right so i don't know i don't know where that comes from i don't think there's even an explanation with much things with fish there's like if there is an explanation there's a chance that it's not true yeah, and it's possible you're just trading lines of composition with somebody and improvising. Yeah. You know? Well, do you mind like, if we yeah. um, listen to a clip? Sure, let's do it. How about 225? But uh, yeah, I thought Fishman was pretty good on that section too. And I like that solo a lot. It's like a, a picking slash uh, chord strumming thing going on. I would say that that solo to me felt more like, like I guess the the capital P Fish sound. Like, like I don't know if that makes sense, but like a... Yeah, it's kind of a, it's kind of like a Grateful Dead-esque uh, right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, I, know I think that's like I still like when it. people yeah. when people who don't listen to fish like imagine fish, I think they imagine that kind of like not that, but like that kind of sound. Right. That like floaty, kind of clearish, sort of upbeat, happy solo kind of thing. There's a lot going on in that part though. There's like a lot of really cool bass playing and the drums are like pretty fanatical and like I don't know. I just thought I like that, even though it does have that like that like major scale mixolydian kind of like jam band thing going on yeah i mean i'm not saying that's like a bad thing about it like a lot of people a lot of people really like that uh that sound and that's not like like you were saying that's not the only sound i just wanted to like say that about it i was like oh this sounds more like the band i've been hearing yeah i think you know i think i, mean? I agree with that yeah i mean that's definitely something i would expect from fish i guess is how i would say that Right. Yeah, 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 exactly. Not that it, it lessens what it is or anything. All right. So has anybody got anything else about limb by limb? No, I think I'm good. All right. Let's do uh, we're on to Frankie says. Um, so a funny story about this song is like it got played as a debut at the at the Island Tour or something like that. I think it was Island Tour. And um, Tom Marshall wasn't at the show, but some fans came and asked him about what song it was to see if he, if he could like name it because they played it without uh -huh. telling anybody what it was. And so everybody thought this song was Raga because these guys were like trying to describe this show to him, like just by telling, or this song just by telling him about it. Right. And he was like, oh yeah, that's Raga. And so for like, up until the album came out from then on out, like they had to, there was like a big confusion and people were having arguments over the name of this song. Oh, because they're like the guy who wrote it told me. Yeah, exactly. 
So did Frankie say this before or after going to Hollywood? <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> Let me look at the lyrics. I don't know if they'll help you. <laughs> Probably not. Did you guys notice the black hole sun noises? No. I, I'll have to like go back and put it on and figure out the part I'm talking about. Because I'm sure to you, Jonathan, as somebody who is like intimately familiar with Soundgarden Super Unknown, yeah. that you will probably not agree that it sounds black hole sunish. I, I one of my thoughts about this is in the in the earlier episodes of this podcast, uh, it was brought up how there are some similarities between fish and they might be giants. Yeah, that was, um, I think, in our either our intro episode or episode yeah. one. Yeah, well, and you brought it up again at some other point too. But out of all the songs on the album, this one had the the this one sounded most. It doesn't sound like they might be giants, but it felt most like they might be giants to me on any song on this album. Interesting. I think I could say the same thing about like Ficus. I think when you get Mike Gordon heavily involved, the the they might be giants sound starts coming out. Uh, that's just a theory I have. Uh, but I do like this song. I think it's like from the perspective of time. Yeah, is the way I see it. And like, because there's the whole the part about. Um, I changed the landscape as I pass meandering from sand to glass. I suction there for one whole day until this feeling goes away. Yeah. And that makes sense to me, but I also, it felt like from the viewpoint of a ghost to me, <laughs> like not to keep right. harping on it, but it felt like a, a ghost, a ghostly feeling too. Right. Yeah. Well, the, the keyboards have, they lend that like ethereal and that's what I mean by like the, the like black hole sun noises because it's certainly not as spacey as that but they the keyboards have this wow 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 kind of thing yeah. going on uh, yeah yeah you know and it's just like it's just it's the same effect it's not the same like it doesn't it doesn't play the same role in the song as like what happens on the Soundgarden record but it just has that same noise mm -hmm. well steal the warm wind tired friend yeah another thing i wanted to say about this song is it's like it somehow accomplishes being both like mellow and tense at the same time. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I don't know, I don't know if the usage of the word, the repetition of the word relax in the lyrics and like adds to or takes away from the tension, which is interesting. I mean, think how often like it is when somebody's telling you to relax, it's like usually a stressful situation. So my, my first statement about this song was a joke, but the more we talk about it, do you think there's any real relation to that? Um, according to fish.net, there is some kind of like minor relation to Frankie goes to Hollywood. Yeah. Um, let me look up what this guy said. This is also fish.net. So let's just leave it at that. But uh, right. in many ways, fish.net is like entertaining as its own standalone artist. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So as to the origin of the song's title, the answer to the question, I'm quoting this, by the way. Uh, to the question depends entirely on whom you ask to some the title is a tongue-in-cheek sorry i'm sorry i'm sorry did you say on whom ye ask this guy wrote ye yeah <laughs> in whom ye yeah. okay continue to some to some the title is a tongue-in-cheek homage to the infamous 1980s synth pop act frankie goes to hollywood while others simply see it as a way to avoid having a song with the same name as the song by the aforementioned 80s synth pop band relax 
<laughs> so so either way it does kind of work right sure yeah. so i can see yeah they were like we we don't want to have the same we don't want to be difficult to look up this song should you get the initial relax first that's funny yeah because i i think that was one of the things too when people were like wondering what the name of this song was like people were thinking it was relax when they had first heard it on the island tour and then nobody knew what this song was it was just a bunch of crowd speculation mm. um but yeah, I think it's cool. It's it's like you said, it's like tense and dark, but also like somewhat relaxing, which is a like a an, uh, an oxymoron, I guess. But that's like it's pretty cool. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's like a hot cup of coffee. Right. Both tense and relaxing. There you go. Yeah. Okay. I see what you mean. <laughs> Do you have anything more about uh, uh Frankie says? Nope. All right, cool. So, uh, Brian and Robert. Um, the only thing I know about this song, other than like the obvious, like whatever meaning you want to take from it, uh, is that the title is supposed to, in some way, represent Brian Eno and Robert Fripp. That's interesting. Oh, okay. I was going to ask if there were a real Brian and Robert, but I don't know why or how. So, yeah, it doesn't seem like the what the song is, a, like the lyrics of the song have anything to do with either of them though. yeah it's kind of a um almost like a the velvet underground song has like a vibe like i can that. see that it, it gave me a, a paul simon vibe okay i was thinking um it almost had like a certain like early ish mountain goats thing going on i could see that too but to me like in the reading the song it was like just a song for slash about lonely people. Yeah. I, I mean, my, my big note about it was like, this is a nice song. Like, it's just kind of a nice message in the course of this album of, you know, we talked about there being a ghostly feeling and, and other things. Well, going I'm on. sorry, not, not lonely people, but people who are alone. Right. I mean, it literally like says that at a certain point. Mm -hmm. I appreciate but yeah, it. Yeah. Oh, you're good. I appreciate the, um, like the harmonizing voice that like is with like the guitar and the keys that are not harmonizing they're playing like the same but like the the guitar is just like one note being held basically or for like much of it like there's some really long like sustained guitar notes in the song are you sure it's not keys maybe i'm crazy let's check it out Is that all keys or is he playing guitar well i think it's keys but i had this issue on a previous track so i think he's playing like a single like sustained guitar note along with the keys or he is part of it i don't know maybe i'm wrong maybe there just is no guitar no there's definitely some guitar but like where it's at in the mix it blends into the keys a lot i think mm -hmm. so it's hard for me to totally parse it but i think that 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 tone that's held is just like either pages left or right hand on the keyboards but that's just me okay i mean i i don't really know i'm just just that's just from listening to it just now i just have heard per trey personally hold notes in that way before so i was wondering if like he was doing that in this song i don't know um but it's you know something to think about 
It very well could be. Yeah. I like this song though. It makes me feel really nice, especially when I'm feeling down. Yeah. 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 I thought that um like this was one of the sounds I enjoyed listening to the most on this album. I thought that like lyrically, I thought it was like well written and I thought it like I mean, it made sense. It's it's relatable. Um, I like the little chime xylophone thing at like the two and a half minute mark. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah. This one is for you. This one is for you. This one is for It's so subtle you have to be listening for it. I heard. It, you're talking about just that one note, right? That it keeps hitting. Yeah. Yeah, the ding, yeah. that thing. <laughs> well, that's cool. Yeah, I like that song a lot. But it's okay, so I guess uh, Water in the Sky? Um, okay, sure. Oh, unless you have something else, Jonathan. I'm no, sure. no, I just want to... I only have one thing to say about Water in the Sky, honestly. Yeah. And it's um, it's not Easter. It's not Easter. <laughs> the vocals is- to the re- verses of this song are, Here come Peter Cottontail. Hopping down the bunny trail. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like to the water in yeah. the sky. Yeah. I'm not sure where uh water and sky came from. It's uh it's like a it's definitely one of their like country-ish songs. But it like goes it has that whole like rain falling kind of like a uh, keyboard thing with the walk with the walk down from the guitar. Yeah, I thought that like the arguably like the the drums in the beginning were meant to evoke rain. But also it kind of sounds like when I was growing up, when the commercial break would be over and like the news would come back on, it would make that like do, 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 do kind of noise. <laughs> yeah, okay. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Can we listen to it? Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's just the, the first few seconds of the song. Listen as she speaks to you. Yeah, no, I see what you mean. Um, yeah, I see what Jonathan's saying now too. Although that didn't occur to me at the time, <laughs> yeah. it has that same that same meter. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, no, think, oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say no. I like I like the country feel of this song. I like when they I like that they play with that and have that kind of in their repertoire of of sounds to play with. Yeah, and that's part of what I mean by uh, the chacobo sound is when like that like woodblock comes in and you hear that like twang start to emerge. That's like when the in a second, there's going to be a squawk and they're all going to start running. <laughs> right. Yeah, because they kind of do have that going on. They, the Chocobos always have like the country song going on. Yeah, like anytime you buy or sell a Chocobo in Final Fantasy, it's always from somebody like in overalls who's chewing on some wheat. Usually with a straw hat. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it's just that kind of deal. There's nothing wrong with it. Sure. Yeah, I sort, I sort of think um, that this song uh, connects with the last song a little bit on the album. I think it's a good placement for it right after Brian and Robert, because lyrically it has the, um, you know, it's listen as she speaks to you, hear the voices flutter through the barriers arranged by you. And then the close the shutters, draw the shades, filter out the Everglades glistening with the evening dew. And then it sort of like flips to like, it, it, it like it maintains like sort of the theme of the, of Brian and Robert and then flips to like, it's your choice or not if you want to be that way. You could say that it arguably shifts back onto the like ghost theme or like a, a like ghostly kind of voodoo-y thing because 
it talks about like fluttering voices and the Everglades and like. I'm sorry, I'm full of them tonight, but are you saying it's ghost water in the sky? Is that a thing? <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, there's ghost riders in the sky, which is an awesome song. Oh, okay. So yeah, that was just a reference to that. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, there's a good. Um, like Dick Dale does it, Johnny Cash does it, The Ventures. It's like a surf kind of country hybrid sort of thing in a way. Okay, yeah. Um, but I think I like I like the like the arrangement of this song. I like the the thing. And I, I definitely think this was built off of them jamming. Like I think they I think they probably built this entire piece of this song before. Like all of that was just like a part of the improvisational session, and then they were like, "Let's jam this song on here." Like you know what I mean? Right. And that's why I would say like, cause we talk about like when the music sounds like the theme of the lyrics or when it goes directly against it. And I'm not going to like assign any credit for that here. Cause I think like rather than crafting the drums and, and stuff to sound like water, like I think the music was probably written first. Right. And then some appropriate lyrics were selected. Right. All right, cool. Was that it for that one? That's all I got. Yeah, I, like I said, I didn't have much to say about that song, except for that I just heard Peter Cottontail. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> I can see, like, if you discovered that early in your listen, it being, like, like distracting. Yeah, that's sure. kind of what the case was. Yeah. Oh, you mean, like, a difficult fish song to learn early on? Or what do you say? No, I'm saying when Jonathan's listening to it, if, like, listening to the lyrics oh, that's going to be on his mind yeah, okay, it can be hard okay. to like yeah the very first time i heard that i was like what is this and then i was like this is peter cotton like immediately right. well the meter of like original country music is kind of based on the meter of like folk songs too yeah so yeah totally yeah, there's gonna be a lot of that um and like i think we've encountered something like that on every fish album so far. <laughs> yeah it's possible some of those things share like a common root instead of one being derivative of the other too yeah yeah all right well yeah let's move on all right to uh raga or rage how do you say it so i don't know i don't know what it means i don't either but i thought it was interesting because like obviously the title looks similar to reggae and in the lyrics that i saw which i guess are the google lyrics they mentioned gordon but it was with an a instead of two o's Oh, the one I'm looking at has Gordon with two O's. Okay, so never mind that then. I gotta say, this might be my least favorite song on the album. You think so? Yeah. I like I like uh, Raga, but um, this song was was an entire improvisation. Like, the whole thing was, like, something they found, and they got all this. Uh, and a lot of the lyrics they recorded... Uh, for this album and for this song were actually recorded separately from the recording of the music. So they like took the music back and recorded the lyrics like at a different location. And they, they said in this interview is actually the talking heads interview that like they deliberately did that because they felt like they needed different locations to like different atmospheres to make the songs different or to make them have different factors or whatever. So just just to go off on a little bit of tangent that's um i mentioned them earlier like my my favorite band joan of arc like two albums ago the whole thing was just them jamming originally and then they recorded each song in a different location including like a high school gymnasium so it's like a sim similar thing where getting part of the room that you're in 
changes the song a bit. Mm-hmm. Just for for listeners, Joan of Arc's an experimental art rock band from Chicago. Uh, sure, okay. most of the time. They can- is that a, is that a decent way for for somebody who's never heard them? Will that get them like towards the ballpark of what they sound like? Sure. <laughs> I mean, okay. The- well, you got you talk about them on your show, right? Uh, yeah, I do talk about them on my show. Uh, the thing about them is that depending on what album they're in and who's in the band, like it can be a completely different thing. Like they've had like big luscious like folk rock albums they've had almost punk albums they've had noise albums they've had like electronic albums they they just do do what they do in the moment and but but yeah it's it's similar to what you're saying about how they recorded the the vocals in a different place for this it's you know it's something that you don't think about that much unless you're like involved in it but room tone can change everything in a sound of something Mm -hmm. Yeah, so this band is, this song is supposed to be like somewhat autobiographical about the entire band as well. There's like, or there's at least some theories that say that um, because each person sings their part in the first uh, stanza. And so like Fish sings the the circus is the place for me with bears and clowns and noise. And it's supposed to be about him like feeling completely at home on the road, like in the nonsense that is like all of like Fish. Mm-hmm. And then like, Trey is like sings the part about loving the shiny music that descends from overhead. And then Gordon know the moment all the stars turned around and then Paige sings the last, right? So I think, uh, which is from, but from that vantage point, I frowned and I, I don't know. And I, I guess it's supposed to be like a somewhat self-reflective, like autobiographical lyrical scheme. I was really interested by like of all of the lyrics and I can, I can see that now that you mention it, like it makes total sense, but the line that I was the most uh, preoccupied with was I can't forget to turn the earth. So both sides get their share. And I think just the phrase turn the earth is really interesting because it, uh, it can be looked at a lot of different ways. Cause like, I mean, when, when a farmer's hoeing the ground, he's turning yeah, so the there's, earth. There's tilling soil, mm-hmm. but turning the earth could also just be like, it could be it could mean sleeping or allowing time to pass right or like if you're in charge of things like it's like you're a deity running your universe and you have to like make the things go mm-hmm. you know and make the planets move and everything well and i definitely see this song being autobiographical about about stuff but i also felt like there's a big theme of balance within this song like pointing to that line matt just pointed out the make sure both both sides of the earth get their their turn or whatever it and yeah, their share of darkness and light is how, yeah. how it goes. Yeah, I, I think that's right. There's definitely, I think, well, I mean, I think it might be an autobiographical might be like their struggle to find like a balance as a band. Yeah. Which I imagine is, is tough. What is it from, uh, what is it from uh, Almost Famous where he's like, just tell him it's going to be a mid-level band dealing with the challenges of stardom in the face or like something like that. He's like dealing with the harsh realities of fame, like in the face of stardom. Right. Yeah. Uh (laughs) But uh, I don't know. I don't know if that's true or not. That's just like speculation. Yeah. So uh, turning the earth could mean a bunch of stuff. I think we go back to more subdued tone and vocals here Mm -hmm. just in terms of how the song feels as well. I like it because um, it honestly does. And I think it's because it's improvised mostly is that uh, it feels like kind of like what segments of a fish show can be like. Um, And that's cool. 
and I, I got to say, like, I, this album, too, like, compared to, like, a lot of Fish albums leading up to this is, like, somewhat more melancholy in some ways. Than... This album is? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. For um, sure. And I don't, I don't, it's, but it's not in, like, a, it's in, like, a, like, a waning about the past kind of thing, not. Yeah, it's like a, it's like a nostalgia for things that are in your past kind of right and then and then like dealing with the present and um well, i think certainly like the the next song has a lot of those themes in it too yeah yeah I, I think it's a good um segue and you know i think that's like what kind of what fish wants to do sometimes when they segue songs live they don't always segue songs but when they choose to they're like striving to do that but without like any informed plan yeah it, it's like instead of transitioning from one song to the other you just like dissolve one onto the other right but leave some characters of it yeah i always like that approach i you know it gives it even it's good for live but it's great for an album it gives it a cohesive feel yeah i feel like there's a transition on yankee hotel foxtrot that's like that and i can't remember which two songs they are but i think i know what you're talking about um it's it's into i know I can't remember the track order, but it's into heavy metal drummer. Yeah, because then it just goes, yeah, the drums come in, yeah. Yeah, is it camera into heavy metal drummer? I can't remember. Well, I, it's not camera, because it, it's later, because heavy metal drummer's like track eight, and camera's like track four. Um, it's like the second to last song, yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, regardless. Anyway, <laughs> it reminds me of it reminds me of a thing that Wilco did. All right, so we got waiting in a velvet sea. Um, I once saw uh, Paige McConnell burst into tears while singing this song, so I guess I could say that. But it was only because it was supposed to be their last show ever, huh. and and then like, he sang it, and then he couldn't finish it. But yeah, this is a song that is like, I think it's pretty good, but it's like widely hated by Fish fans. That's interesting to me. Yeah. This is my favorite song on the album. Yeah, I, I can believe that. It's interesting to me, too. I don't know that this is my favorite song on the album, but it's certainly not. I like, wouldn't go with wide, like, by widely hated, I mean, like, if you're at a fish show, like, nobody wants to hear this song. <laughs> Some people do, but, and I'm one of them. I like this song, but people get, like, there's, so there's a different level of, like, criticism for shows. And, like, when this song comes at the wrong time in a show, it feels well, like I can what, see it being something of a downer. Yeah, well, it feels like what like some fish fans would call like when they rip chord out of something. So sometimes they'll have like a really great jam going, and then they like either can't figure out what to do next or are just stuck or like aren't willing to like keep going with it. And so then they just start playing a song like this. Oh, okay. And it's a weird way to like transition. Um, so people think it's like a cop out, right? And I think I think I'm by saying like people hate it. I think I'm wrong, but. I think there's a lot of people out there would be like, I'd rather not hear this song if I went to a fish show. Well, I don't think, I think it, this song is definitely a good argument for live versus studio because I, not that I have great experience or knowledge, but I think this isn't the kind of thing you want to go when you hear when you're seeing fish live, but here as a presence on this album, you know, earlier I was saying that, you know, I see this this album has several movements. I think this is where the final movement starts. And I think this album starts really strong. And I think this album finishes really strong. And I, I it might just be a transitional place on the album that makes it work so well here. 
Yeah, I think it's it's important not to fall into the trap of like because of like the experiences of seeing songs live and like seeing a band a bunch of times, like like applying that to the studio list home listening experience. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, well, there's probably fish fans that would tell you not to even worry about the studio albums. Just depends. Right. It depends on who you are and like what you take from it. Now, I think this podcast would prove all of those people like patently wrong. But that said, like, I would just I just wanted to state that because it's one of those songs that people refer to as like a bathroom song sometimes. Or like, you know, they're like, yeah. If they if the band didn't want you to try out listening to their studio albums, like, arguably they wouldn't make them. Right, right. And it's I just think people are well, there's like a certain level of like pretentious fish fan and like, you know, people who've been to 200 shows or like people who collect all the bootlegs and like, there's all kinds of different le- and then there's people like me, who are just like, man, I want to go and have a fucking fun ass party. Bring my, fr- so, bring my friends along. Sure, allow, yeah. allow me to sidetrack us for one moment. And I have a feeling that this is going to come up again. Sometime in the near future, not necessarily tonight. But lately, and it's a different album, it wasn't this album or this song that made me think about this, but I've been wondering what makes repetition in music work, specifically in in, in vocals or lyrics, and what makes it not work? Because I can't ever seem to crack it. But I know in this song, it's working for me. And it's probably a personal thing. I don't think there's any blanket statement. But what what do you think it is that makes repetition work or not work? Well, for me, I can say that, like, even in the context of just fish, I can think of off the top of my head moments where it works and doesn't work. Like, I agree with you. I didn't have a problem with it here. Um, I know on the Rift episode I mentioned, I did not appreciate it as much on My Friend, My Friend. Mm. Um, What's the difference between it here and there? It's hard to place, right? (laughs) It is, but the, I will say that the overall sound of My Friend, My Friend is like, when it's happening, that I find it like a little hard to deal with. It's more cacophonous. And then they do it at like the outro of the song where it's just like complete silence, pause, they say it, more silence, they say it over and over. Like, I don't know. It's just, the answer to your question is I'm not sure, but I agree with you. Sometimes it can feel like, things are being like pounded into you and sometimes you just like don't care how how long it continues to go on right well so to that i would say like one of the things i appreciate about fish is like some discomfort like uncomfortable tense moments um it's probably a similar reason that i like um the song uh we just brought up wilco but uh the Wilco song, what, what is it? Is it misunderstood where he's like, thank you all for nothing. But then like, if they perform yeah. it live, they do that like 20 times. Like, and I, I can see where somebody might be like, man, this sucks. Like he won't stop saying this, but like, I appreciate it for the effect that it has because I think you're supposed to appreciate it on like a, yes, it is kind of annoying level. Right. And like, it's supposed to be like a discomfort and like a, a rising tension. Now I agree that, waiting in a velvet sea because like the keys are there and the harmonization is there like lends it like a softness that probably makes it more palatable is that right um yeah because in the end all music is repetition right like well yeah of course like so so the question is like is it a palatable form of it i don't know well and what's going on underneath of it too right like you know i mean it's not as if like 
because there's some rep there's degrees of it you know what i'm saying yeah and i think i think brian hit on it on it well too it's also kind of the intention of the repetition like if the repetition is supposed to be jarring that's having an effect and that works and doesn't work for somebody and i feel like in this song the repetition is kind of luring you into this sense and that's that's the intent of it a not unrelated point is actually the content of the lyrics that are being spoken like i've been waiting in a velvet sea it's a very calm evocative thing to be saying right whereas my friend my friend he's got a knife is the opposite I mean, one of my favorite uh, moments of repetition in a song, I, I'm just curious, it's actually stolen from a poem that, that this person put in the song, but the line is, Billy the kid did what he did and he died. Billy the kid did what he did and he died. And that re gets repeated over and over and over again. I think that's a little bit harsher, but it also, the intent of it makes the repetition better. There's actually an Iron Maiden song called... Um brighter than a thousand suns that's about the atomic bomb and i think it's the hard times or somebody that did an article about it recently and they were like music archaeologist discovers like good two and a half minute song buried within eight and a half minute iron maiden song <laughs> <laughs> which i think is really funny and could equally be applied uh to fish but there's the the chorus to that gets repeated a lot and it's out of the darkness brighter than a thousand suns but um while the lyrics are repeated, he he sings different notes back to back each time, and it, it's there's kind of like a groove, a heavy kind of head nod sort of groove to that song, mm. which I think is partially why I don't find it objectionable. Like it's well, there was one that I brought up a Maiden song though that I like the end was like that. I can't what was it? Uh, it was very repetitive, and like I actually I didn't have too much of a problem with it. it just struck me. But I don't, I don't know. I, I think, I think I've gone through this so much now with the repetition with some of the bands that I listen to that I don't notice it as much anymore. And like, I appreciate it when it's like that, but I can see why somebody might be like, stop saying that. Right. Okay. <laughs> right. right. Well, well back, back on, on the topic, I just thought this was a good tangent and I'm sure we might talk about it more some other time, but to me, this song felt like, it was about miscommunication over distance. And I don't know how you both took it, but that's what I took from it. I saw it as like the use of a gift or a parcel as a metaphor for either like a past relationship or just like looking back on the past and like nostalgia more broadly, mm. if that makes sense. But I can see like seeing the, the like male thing as like, you know mean implying distance right, right. so I, I can see what you're saying mm -hmm. i like the line and someone else will set your clocks <laughs> like what does that mean i've never been able to I, figure that one out myself but it's not but in my, my when i heard read that line there heard that line the first time i was like he's talking about cleaning their clocks <laughs> because that means something entirely not good <laughs> Yeah, I'll set your clocks for you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I always thought that was funny. And like, I don't know if it's from Sopranos or Goodfellas or whatever, but it's like, you get that threat and it's like, how about I come there and like, you know, break your head off for you. I like the yeah. for you. It's like implying that it's doing, <laughs> doing you a favor. Yeah. I see what you're saying, Jonathan, though. Like when you're saying, um, you know, um, 
the packaging begins to break and all the points I tried to make are tossed with thoughts into a bin and time leaks out, my life leaks in. So like, yeah. so it's like the long distance is like, like the fabric of what you're like, you have together is like falling apart. And then it's being replaced with like the stuff that you have personally going on. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. That's, that's a good take. See, to me, I, th- I thought um, the, all the points I tried to make were like an argument that like, in like the the end of a relationship and like the time leaks out my life leaks in means like as you get more and more separated from it like a you start to it doesn't hurt as much and b you remember it less clearly like the life that you've lived afterwards like leaks it bleeds into the 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 look back you know okay yeah sure i like that take too yeah and i don't think either of these takes are uh I mean, they can go hand in hand. Honestly, they don't have to be separate, too. Yeah, it's not mutually exclusive, yeah. But yeah, I really, really enjoyed this song. I catch myself singing along to it every time I listen to it. There's like a sharp, clean sort of tone to the guitar solo, too. Do you have a clip, Matt? Okay, go to like 250. All right. It's not exactly a solo. It's just licks he's playing behind the main, I guess, chorus or whatever. But still, they have that really clean, sharp guitar tone. Like, I guess guys like, I don't know, like Brian May have that going mm-hmm. on a little bit. Like, a lot of those Queen solos have that really, like, clean kind of... Yeah, he doesn't have a lot going on. Yeah, it's just a lot, of, um, a lot of tone and a lot of, like, yeah, no, not, not a lot of feedback or distortion or anything. Yeah, but it's still like gaining. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Where it's sitting in the mix is like perfect too, because it's not in your face at all. And it works for the feel of the song that way. Well, that might be another reason why somebody who like doesn't appreciate like like uh like violent repetition would appreciate the repetition of like this song is because it like I think Matt said it, but it was like it's kind of like sitting behind everything. And then like, and then like the focus is like either on the guitar or whatever you choose to focus on. But I mean, you like, you kind of lose track of the lyrics in like the jam that's building. Yeah. It's not like the, the part that's repetitive is being like shoved real hard up front in your face. Right. Well, cool. Does anybody have anything else about uh, Velvet Sea? Waiting for Velvet Sea? No, like I, like I said earlier, this, this feels like the start of the last movement of this album. And I feel like, it's a great way to start winding down this album. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then we're on to uh, the MoMA dance, which, like we were saying about um, Olivia's, uh, pool. Olivia's Pool, is like a homonymic uh, device. Y- yeah, it sounds like the moment ends. Yeah, and so, yeah. but it's interesting because they changed the name of that song to Shafty from Olivia's Pool and took like the homonymic or that, that sound away. I, I don't know <clears> if that's a word, so I'm going to stop saying that. But uh, No, a homonym is a thing. I'm just not sure that that's... That's a way to describe it. Yeah. So this song used to be a jam called Black Eyed Katie. Huh. And then they changed this song to have a name that 
flows with like 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 Olivia's pool and and Olivia's pool. It's the moment dance and the moment ends. Yeah. Well, and I, I was just say I, I like I love that and I love the way they deliver those lines through the course of the song. This is why I don't necessarily even though I saw it a little bit differently, disagree with what was what Matt was saying about the last song is to this, to me, this song really feels like the end of a relationship. Well, it's certainly about moving on in one way or another. Right. Yeah. It's not even close to the first song about the fish is written about being on the sea. Yeah. I wrote down in my notes, uh, nautical shit because <laughs> I know that that's, that's been a big deal uh, in the podcast. <laughs> again i think that you have like a ghost kind of sort of theme coming back in well and then it circles back to the first song which... yeah there's like the actual the the lyrics from ghost show back up right yeah now were those those lyrics weren't in there when it was the other song right no no and i in fact uh black eyed katie is instrumental oh okay so it black eyed katie was typically i think the beginning of moment like moment dance and then like a segment for like a jam and then some more moment dance but i mean you'd have to listen to it a lot uh like it, there's not as many versions of it because once this came out that's kind of this is what they play now uh but it's it's badass it's really funky really cool and it really it gets really good but so does this live now so it's like uh, give or take i can see like from a strategic standpoint if you're fish how it might like make good sense if given the opportunity to early on to change the title to something that includes the word dance. Oh yeah, sure. Just because of like what's going to happen when you play it in concert and stuff. <laughs> it's like a subtle encouragement for everybody to move around and go crazy. Right. And people who like fish tend to like nifty wordplay and things like that. So I think that helps. Um, I think there's like, I like the funky keys and like the Wawa intro. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this is, is is probably like one of the highest points of the album for me. I mean, I like I said, I feel like this album starts and ends really strong. I really, I would say track two is probably a standout track. I would say 12 and 13 are my other two like standout tracks. And I think they're stronger in the position of the album. But I, I definitely love the way this this album kind of comes to a close. And, and there's a lot of energy in this song. But there's also a lot of kind of like fading away from it too. Yeah, it's probably it's more energetic live sometimes too. Uh, that like vocal part where it's like ah, 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 is often like um, played on guitar. Mm. So like that accompanies it with their vocals and like it, it kind of shreds, you know. But yeah, ultimately it's like just again, it's like a pretty cool funk song. It's like definitely a like a keystone turning point as to like the sound fish is going to have continuing on in their career until their first hiatus, which is coming up in like a few years. But yeah, like from like 97 to like then this like funk element is there, which is like, I agree with Matt. It's not like full on funk, but it's has like this, it's like this groovy kind of like funk influenced thing. Whereas like we're getting a little away from like, like having like a composition and then like putting a jam inside a composition. Yeah, I'm not 100% sure. I think one of the things that's keeping this from being a highlight for me is that I'm not 100% sure there's like these like whispered background vocals in a part of it. I'm not sure how I totally feel about. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? You mean like... 
That's exactly what I'm talking yeah. about. <laughs> yeah, I think that's cool too. Yeah, I did I liked those. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure I'm on board, but I guess two out of three people on this podcast are, so it's it could just be me. And then there's like a sound effect thing kind of at the ending too. Are you talking about the lava spawn sound? Yeah, it's like a howling wind slash siren. Yeah, when you're when you're climbing Death Mountain in Chrono Trigger. Yeah, and it's like 99, 99 AD or whatever. Yeah, yeah, and it's snow will knock your ass down. Yeah. Yeah, man. Well, anyway, you guys figured it out, but that's the sound of the ghost, Matt, in case you haven't figured that part out yet. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it kind of fades into the last song a little bit. To end of session. Yeah, which is a pretty literal thing to name this song. So, I mean, I I thought Moma Dance would have been like a great ending, but uh, the end of session has always been argued to be like, why is this song on here? Because it's kind of out of character with a lot of the stuff. That's exactly how I felt about end of really? session. Yeah, um, and I still like end of session. I think it's neat, but it's like, what does it have to do with the album? And I'm wondering, is it literally the end of like their session for all of this? I wonder if they just had like a couple of riffs left over and they're like, we have to use these somehow, but they, I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm like being reductive. Well, no, I mean, I, I, as a fish fan have this problem with fish albums sometimes is like, like I could have ended. Well, we said that about uh, Lawn Boy. Lawn Boy could have ended on like one song earlier. Right. You could have put Bouncing Around the Room on the next album or something like that. I did want to ask, do you think that the, the lyrics about the silent bird and the raging tide and the mountainside are about uh, Colonel Forbin's ascent and the famous mockingbird. It's totally possible. Because that involves a, a bird and a mountainside. I'm interested that, that both of you felt like this could have been cut. I do feel like it's like the perfect announcement of, uh, to kind of close that out. I sort of do and sort of don't. I mean, I don't know. Like, I, I like what they're doing. Like, I, don't get me wrong. It doesn't mean that I don't like the music that they're making. I just don't see, like, as a constructed album, I don't totally see the purpose of it. It's it's almost like they just wanted to be like, okay, now the thing's in a box. Now let's just, like, put a little bow on it. Yeah, and I think also they wanted to, like, highlight kind of, like, the way they made the album and what they were doing. And so I think that's part of it, too, because, like, this is, like, for them, a unique way of making an album. What year did John Henry come out? I don't know. You know what I'm talking about and why I'm asking, right? I'm not sure why you're asking. What's the last song on John Henry? The end of the tour. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I think at the end, I think the end of the tour is a stronger song than this is. Yeah, I'd argue it's a song, stronger song probably, but uh, sorry to, for people who don't care about They Might Be Giants and are listening to this podcast, but I think... Uh, it's still a similar kind of place it's it's flat out saying this is the ending you know sometimes subtlety is better and i'm not going to sit here and argue about when or when not but i feel like part of the point of this here is like 
it's over. Right. No more. Right. I mean, I, I think that like, yeah, that's true. I think it says that, but like Brian was saying, we've talked about before, like, I think, I think on a couple albums, fish likes to end on like a mellow kind of soft, kind of sweet note a lot and i think that some of the other places that they've done that that we've talked about on the podcast have been like a little more effective to me so maybe that's why it didn't hit me as hard that's fair i didn't dislike it like i said i just kind of wonder about it but yeah like overall i mean it's it's cool it reminds me a little bit of something i can't remember i I don't know what it is but like whatever i heard was after that but it was like I can't remember if it was like a Modesky Martin at Woodstock I went to or something, but it has that kind of same, like that droning kind of like vibe of like, and playing like really slow. Um, I don't know, but it, I, I mean, I think it's musically pretty great. I just, I, I think, I, I think I would like to see the, the, I think I would like to see the album end with Moma dance. Yeah. It, I don't have a gripe with the song per se. I just think like, it's sort of an odd man out for me and it feels like a, like an afterthought in a way it just based on the way it's presented like if i'd heard it in isolation before hearing this album i might not have uh, i might not have had that same opinion that's fair i think maybe it also has to do with i'm a sucker for ending an album with a short sad slow song right but that that's what i'm saying i think that they like i think that like if Lawn Boy had ended, what what's the penultimate song? It's Lawn Boy, right? That would be like the sa- the sadder, chiller song than bouncing around the room. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, is that it? Has anybody got anything else? Uh, yeah, no, I think that that about wraps up the tracks. So I guess we'll go to the the final breakdown. Jonathan, what did you think, man? I was impressed with a lot of this album, a lot more than I thought I'd be, and I I am curious as to whether it it is this album more so than other things because like i said i like that there's a lyrical thematic concept through most of it even though they get goofy and there's not that's that's fun but there is like lyrical themes that kind of flow through this album that really really works for me and like i said that that first movement of those first three songs works so well and and i know i'm the only person here but those last three songs work so well for me I appreciate this work as a, as a piece all to itself. Awesome. All right. Now, Matt, you got to put it in your rankings. Yeah. So I think that here's, here's how I came away from this album. I think that like if fish set out to achieve a mellower laid back sort of moody album, I think that they've succeeded in that. I think that it's consistent from front to back with a couple little deviations, but they're like, they're not totally out of left field. So I think that the, the whole thing is fairly seamless and I think it's really well produced. But I think that a result of that seamlessness and that moodiness is that there are fewer moments that stand out to me in a way where I'm like, Hi, I really have to think about this and I'm going to need a moment to digest this and come back to it. And I'm not saying that's good or bad, but on a gut level, uh, right now, I think that I tend towards still Rift and Lawn Boy a little bit. So, like, I think they're going to have to remain my top two, probably in that order. And then I'm going to say, like, if I have to go, like, A rank, B rank, C rank, then the next ones are this and Picture of Nectar are probably neck and neck, depending on how, like, 
what sort of a mood I was in at the time. Because mm-hmm. like, I don't often listen to music to like put myself in a mood or cheer myself up. It's like based upon how I'm already feeling, if that makes sense. Okay. And then I'm probably still going to have to leave uh, Genta at the bottom. So if you want me to go, you know, one, two, three, four, five, I'm going to go Rift, Lawn Boy, probably Picture of Nectar, then Story of the Ghost, then Junta. But if you catch me on a different day, I might reverse my one and my two or my three and my four. Does that make sense? I know that's a really long way. No, that sounds good, man. Way of ranking things. Well, um, what do we got coming up? Okay, so we did a brief detour last episode with some Paul Diano stuff and some uh, non-album tracks from Iron Maiden, but basically we've been going chronological and we just came off of No Prayer for the Dying, which is like one of the last two Bruce Dickinson albums before his hiatus, along with Adrian Smith. So we're just going to plow straight forward and go into one of the two most controversial Iron Maiden studio albums from the Blaze uh, Bailey era, The X Factor. And Jonathan's going to be coming back to join us for that. And I, I know it's a little harsh to just hit him with uh, an album like this off the bat, but if, you know, knowing you as I do, Jonathan, and knowing you're a fan of like some pretty experimental stuff, I thought you could handle it. Yeah. And uh, you might be able to find some of the, because I, I think that there's, this is an album that's like hated by probably two thirds of the overall Maiden fandom and defended by a small minority. And I think you're probably going to see some reasons for both. And I'm interested to hear your take on it. Yeah, I'm interested to talk about and listen to that album more. Awesome, man. Well, uh, thanks, Jonathan, for listening to the uh, the album. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for having me. I, I, I enjoyed it. I'm glad I got to talk about it with you guys. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for coming on. Uh, you guys can find links to the New Year's podcast and Bite of Passage in our show notes, on our website, and our social media and stuff. And uh, yeah, we'll see you next time. All right. Thanks, everybody. As we As they mentioned in their episode, next month we'll be back to discuss Iron Maiden's The X Factor. I hope you enjoyed this, and you should definitely go check out the Beast in the Maze podcast if you did. Remember to check the show info if you want to find out where to find us at New Year's. We'd love to hear from you, and thanks for listening. is an abandoned mascot production and part of the abandoned mascot network a loose affiliation of podcasts for media arts creators and connoisseurs for more information follow us on twitter at abandoned masco one that's abandoned m-a-s-c-o and the number one thanks for listening